Renee, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me. It's always a blast. I think last time I had you on, it was like right before COVID became really serious. Yeah. Um, so a lot has changed, man. A lot has changed, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. Um, one of the things that I love about you, Renee, is um, just you. I love Renee <laughs> Ritchie, and I've been a fan. I was telling my wife today, um, she's like, who are you interviewing tonight? I'm like, Renee. She, she was like, oh, haven't you talked to him before? I'm like, yeah, and I'm totally a fanboy. Like, uh. I've literally been listening to your voice in my eardrums for probably 10 years <laughs> That's um, on MacBreak Weekly. So again, every time I have an opportunity to talk to you, I just have to fanboy a little bit because I've just been such a fan for so uh, long. Well, thank you so much. One of the things that I really wanted to do for this conversation um, is talk about something that I don't hear you talk about on podcasts very often, and that is YouTube. Um, okay. You talk about it a lot on Twitter, um, which is really fun to see like your exploration with YouTube. And that's what I love about Twitter. It's almost like Twitter is like really the community for YouTubers because yeah. YouTube doesn't really have a text-based way to communicate with other YouTubers. So I wish Twitter and YouTube would get along a little bit better, yeah. but yeah. Um, it's almost like if you're a YouTuber, you have to also be on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. um, anyways, I just wanted to kind of hear what's going on with your channel. It's been exploding uh, over the last, ever since we talked, um, you know, I think last we talked, you were still kind of just getting in the swing of things and, yeah. and being on your own. Uh, how's it been? How's it been treating you being a, a full-time creator on the internet? Well, it's a, it's been a real roller coaster. Like, like you mentioned, I quit my old big media job in March of 2020 and I gave yeah. them a month's notice because I thought there'd be an Apple event in March. I didn't want to leave them, you know, empty handed. And uh -huh. But then by the time that that happened, the whole world closed. Like literally my city went on lockdown and I yeah. didn't, I was out of a job and I didn't know what was going to happen or what I could do. But because we were on lockdown uh, and I had nothing else to do, I couldn't see another human being for like, we, we literally we weren't allowed to having visitors. I just dove everything I could into making videos and learning about YouTube, like basically researching YouTube yeah. the way I'd been researching Apple for that decade. And you sure have um, been nailing it. Uh, recently, you you surpassed 300,000 subscribers, uh, which is a huge milestone. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and you continue to just crush it in the, in the thumbnail game, the title game. And recently, you know, some of the conversations that I've been seeing you have uh, having on uh, on Twitter, you're talking about how do we take this niche, which is, you know, tech reviews and kind of figure out how to blend that with what's going on in pop culture YouTube. When you look at the top creators on the platform like Logan Paul, Mr. Beast, like how can we learn from them even within our tech niche? What are some of your thoughts on on that kind of conversation of what's currently trending on YouTube, which is very extravagant, almost clickbaity topics and titles, and blending that with, with tech news and making it authentic and not just total cringe. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but like, that's, uh, that's really like a bigger than YouTube thing. And I was lucky that I had some experience with that. Because that was the case on blogs, it was the case on TV, it was a case, like even back in the day when, before Nielsen ratings were digital, you would get a little mm -hmm. book to fill out, and everybody, everybody would write down that what they wanted was PBS, and yet what everybody was watching was like the TMZ stuff. Like they put the tabloids at the <laughs> checkout 
counter for a reason. Um, and That's to true. this day, I still get people saying, why don't, why are you making leak videos? Nobody wants to see that. We want to watch the deep dives. But yet every metric tells me that the leak videos do <laughs> 10 times the views of what the people yeah. tell me they want because like mm. YouTube shows you what they actually click on. So it's, it's really been figuring that out. Like, and the way I phrase it is, I want to make educational videos. I want to share like why things work the way they work. But in order to exist, not just on YouTube, but yes, on YouTube, but just in popular <laughs> culture, you have to put a candy wrapper around all of that stuff. It's true. And um, I was definitely playing around with it when I was at Indie Mogul. And um, I don't know if I was doing that when we talked last. I might have mentioned it in passing because yeah. I, I was talking to them. But yeah, I, I was trying to play around with gamifying that concept. I don't know if you saw the video I did with Armando and I, Justine, yeah. kind of trying to come up with some sort of way to have a game show within our niche. And uh, unfortunately, the views on that video did not perform like I was hoping, but um, I think I gave up too soon. Uh, and I am actually, I don't know if you saw my tweet, I'm freelance, yep. like literally yes, today. congratulations. I just, I quit my job. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a challenge because a lot of, like you said, people who comment are like, we don't want this, but then the numbers tell a different story. Yeah. And I think people just take the tech and gear niche kind of a little too seriously sometimes. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that totally could be true. I just think people want to be entertained. And if you can inform them while you're entertaining them, I think that's better than if you can, if you just leave them empty at the end. And like, that's why I'm happy like YouTube is paying so much attention now to satisfaction. It's like they evolved. First, it was just click through. So everybody click baited. Then it was mm. watch time. So everybody just made the longest thing possible. Um, but now <laughs> they care about how people feel after the videos and they've got surveys and they've got much more um, evolved metrics to determine that. And I think that's great because it gets people to sort of uh, not just make a video, but think about designing the experience of that video. I mean, over the last year and a half, the platform has changed a lot uh, since we talked. And, you know, that's one of the main things that I'm noticing too. And um, Hayden Hillier-Smith, Logan Paul's editor, yeah. has a wonderful channel. And he always, I think, is really kind of on the cutting edge of of that and pushing for more story. And we're even seeing creators like Mr. Beast and others starting to kind of experiment with... Um, you know, getting a little deeper uh, and give kind of pulling on those those heartstrings. How do how do you do that with tech? How have you been exper experimenting with with that concept with tech? Yeah, I think you always at the end of the day you have to tell a story, and maybe you don't have to, but it, I, like, but I think it's always better if you can tell a story if you can give people something to relate to, something to attach to, because. Uh, like in some markets, specs are just everything. You sit there and you rattle off a spec sheet and that's fine. That's all people really care about. But I think, you know, the the technology that we have now is fairly mature. There are a few interesting things on the horizon, but they're still built on the things that we have now. And I think sort of like the, the, the gold rush of every new smartphone being a miracle is past us and every new computer being a miracle tablets, like all of that stuff, it's become mainstream. And so the challenge is it, the tech doesn't just speak for itself anymore. You have to amplify its voice. Uh, a Twitter thread that we were a part of was uh, Chris Howe was asking a question about, should I post on the weekends? And I, I kind of mentioned like, Oh, look at your heat map. And then you chimed in and, and had a great point that it's, it's also you kind of want to look at things that are trending or uh, newsy, but then also blending that in with evergreen content. Can you elaborate on kind of the evergreen idea? And I've seen you doing this on your channel, and I think it's a huge win because you may not get those massive viral hits of when the iPhone is brand new and you're going to do a, 
a deep dive on the the new iPhone 14. Um, but those views can kind of over time continue to develop. Have you experimented with some evergreen content? Yeah, I think like one of the lessons I had to learn early on, and it's funny because my background before I did media was in marketing for, for enterprise data analytics, for big data stuff. And I knew this, but I forgot mm. it. And that is data doesn't really tell you anything. Like some people look at it and they say the data is telling me this, but that's, that's what you're choosing to see in the data. The data by itself is just numbers. And maybe the data means like if, it's, if you see the performance is low, maybe you haven't done enough to get enough people of that audience to like it, to engage with it. Maybe you've done too much and it's not what your audience wants. Maybe it's off season and it was bad timing. Like there's so much about it that you have to just, you can't look at the numbers and use it to justify whatever you feel like. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. But through learning that, I sort of got through the superficiality. And the most important thing I ever learned on the platform, and I think this goes back to um, something Todd Bopri said, uh, he's the director of discovery at Google, and he's mm-hmm. spoken at VidSummit, and he's done some creator, uh, creator channel videos. And that's just like, if Take the word algorithm and replace it with the word audience. Don't make videos for an algorithm. The algorithm's job is literally Mm. to follow the audience. And don't assume the algorithm's job is to find viewers for your video. The algorithm's job is to find videos for their viewers. And it sounds like a dumb difference, like a difference without a distinction. But it it really changed like everything for me. And to your point about this, now when I have a question, I don't just look at the numbers and if they're down, feel bad, or if they're up, feel good. I mean, like, it's hard not to feel good if they're up, but uh, it's really it's really important not to feel bad if they're down. And if I see something like it says, this video needs to go up tomorrow at 930, that's when most of my audience is active, I can look at the video and say, this is breaking news. It's midnight, but it's breaking news. Yeah. And every minute I wait, it's going to be losing views. So I'm going to put it up now. Yeah, exactly. Or I can say this is evergreen and it's going to be getting views for the next 12 months. So I can easily wait till tomorrow at 9.30 and give it the best initial boost it can get because my audience is mostly coming online on YouTube then. Again, you can compare it to all sorts of different channels out there. And, you know, Mr. Beast is at the, the highest of the highs in that way. Like he kind of just posts a video whenever he's done. And it, it's because the video will be entertaining forever and there's not necessarily a timely nature to it it's just an evergreen piece of content that makes a huge splash when you first post it but then somebody you know five years from now can discover it and marquez will just upload at 9 30 at night because he's marquez you know (laughs) yeah and i I think sometimes we overlook the fact that youtube is an international website and we are international creators at the end of the day obviously we are regionally you know focused depending on what country you're in you probably have a majority in that country but Uh, I know when I was doing gear stuff, um, I think our number two country was uh, in India. So um, people were watching. Mine right now. You know, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I would. I would imagine. I mean, it's there's so it's such a a huge uh, market in India, and a lot of people overlook that. So yeah, and it's interesting because like. you, you can start to use this stuff to really help you wrap your or your mind about things. Like right after the Apple Fall events, my channel hit a real slump. Like already last year, views were down half by what the previous year was. And that was mostly true for all tech channels. Like 2020 was a real outlier because a lot of people were home and the consumption mm. levels for YouTube went up really, really high. It took a while yeah. for the ad rates and everything to, to follow. But Last year, my views were down, but my CPMs and RPMs, people aren't familiar with that, that's just how much money you get from AdSense, was way up. Uh, And I had to sort of like start taking those numbers apart. But then everything went down over the holidays. 
And I went to, we have somebody at Standard, the agency that I'm with, who does just analytics full time. And Dave Wiskus, who runs the agency, is very good at that. Uh, And I watched a bunch of those creator videos again. And I realized my audience hasn't gone anywhere. They've just bought all their Christmas stuff already. They've got their new MacBooks. (laughs) They've got their new iPhones. They're kind of satiated. And it's not that they've left or they're not interested. It's just they're not at a fever pitch. They're not clicking instantly Mm. anymore. And that I had to be more patient. So if I used to get a spike in the in the first day and then it would drop, now it took like three days to get the spike, but it would take like three days to drop again. And if I was just patient, I would end up getting you know a similar amount of views. It was just taking a week, two weeks to get them instead of a day, two days to get them. And that just removed a lot of stress again because I understood what was happening. Yeah, it's crazy. And I just want to say I just have utmost respect and uh you know appreciation for you because i know you you do a lot of these shoots by yourself i i would imagine i think you do it all by yourself yeah Is that true you write, yeah especially because again we edit. were locked down so i had no no choice yeah um so yeah i mean now like have you have you ever worked with a shooter or, or an editor have you considered hiring editing teams or anything like that or I have. Back when I was at Mobile Nations, we had somebody else shoot for us, uh, Mark Wim, who actually works with um, uh, with Team Pixel now, and he was shooting okay. a lot of the videos uh, and editing them as well. And I was just basically on air talent. Uh, and I've had occasionally other people help me with it. I should get an editor. Everybody, literally, anytime. I mean, Hayden's told me, Marquez has told me, Dave's told me. I'd like just get an editor, but uh, the way like I don't have anything else really to, that much to do right now. But also, um, when I do breaking stuff, I don't have anybody local, so I would have to send that footage out. I would have to wait for it to edit. I have to go back and forth. And right now, I can put it together, edit it, and post it within a few hours. And that's just Mm. a huge advantage when it comes to... Like quick trendy new topical footage for me. What's what's your workflow? Because I I love that type of editing. The kind of maybe that's why gear reviewers do what they do. Like I do get like an adrenaline rush from the fact that like I have this product. It needs to be edited right away. And the sooner I get it out, the more views I get. So let's just go make it happen. Um, It can also be a little bit of like an addict mentality. So you gotta be careful. And it's a hamster wheel, quite frankly. Like. That kind of content has a shelf life. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Have you had burnout from doing that type of workflow? How do you manage um, that kind of rat race? So I've been doing it for so long that I'm sort of accelerated. It feels like once you get on the highway and you're driving, you can maintain it. I've gone up and down, though. Like last year, after two years of lockdown, I was kind of just like based. And I didn't do like previous year, I did like, I don't know, five, six, seven videos during an event week. And like last year, I did like three, which was it still sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot for what I usually do. And there were people who still did like eight or nine or 10 videos, but I was just like, I've, this is as much as I can put in right now. Like I tested two videos a week, three videos a week, four videos a week. And then you can plot videos published per week by average view per viewer. And you can see mm-hmm. if, if you do more videos, do people watch more videos or do you saturate them and they start choosing between videos? And mine showed like I could go to four videos a week even more and it would go from like watching 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4 to 1.5. But I just, I can't, it's not healthy for me to do that many videos. So I said yeah. like I could do more, but I don't have to do more. And I like that I understand it, but then I can make my own choice. I had an interview with Oscar Alva last week, who um, is the shooter and editor for Jeff Wittick. And it was a great interview. We talked for four hours. I cut it down to wow. an hour, but um, he said that they, he's doing about sixty hours of work a week. They do wow. four podcasts, two main barbershop videos, and then two vlogs a month. 
and it's at that yeah. level too and i'm like dude that is such a young man's game like i'm you know 31 but i i don't have that capacity anymore to, I know. to hustle like that i don't know but you know it's just different stages i have you know kids and stuff like that that yeah. i like i don't care to work because i want to spend time with my children you know yeah yeah absolutely. So it's everybody's you're never gonna stage. wish you'd spent less time with them when you get older yeah exactly exactly one of the main reasons that i was reminded to have you on was because the the other day you did post a tweet that just like i really resonated with you kind of talked about already the candy coating concept but the yeah. tweet was a perhaps not unsurprising amount of time is spent figuring out how to take the educational videos i make and wrap them in a more mainstream youtube friendly candy coating so people will actually find them click worthy enough to take a chance on then over delivering of course and we we already touched on this but what are some like real practical um examples of that for you and things that you've learned if you're willing to share your secrets yeah, yeah, for sure um with other tech creators who may be listening to this podcast or other people in a, in a similar niche that um can kind of just listen to what you've learned because it is hard because at the end of the day you're making a review about a product like canon 1dc review like you could just title it canon 1dc review because that is what it is but we have to learn to come up with better, more clickable titles and put it in a more candy coated package. Like you said. Yeah. And it can also vary. Like you could like, um, there's, I'm, I'm, I have a marketing background, so I'm going to use a bunch of really terrible marketing cliches in this, but like there's a life cycle for everything. And when you post a video immediately, that's going to hit your subscribers first, especially subscribers who are highly engaged, which is the ones, ones that have the bell set to always and have notifications on. And you can have a thumbnail in the title that you know is going to appeal to them the most so that you get a lot of initial acceleration. And then you're going to have one or two days of it being just pushed out, uh, not to like general YouTube yet, but to the concentrically larger nearest neighbor audiences. And there might be a slight subtle tweak. And it might involve like, because they know you, you want your face in the thumbnail so that they'll know it's your video or your logo in the thumbnail so they know it's your video. It's like something that really represents you. So from a sea of different thumbnails, they choose yours. And I'm going to back up just for a second because like there's a lot of people who say, oh, YouTube doesn't show my videos. And again, it's like not YouTube's job to show your videos. Uh, like you have to, you have to work for that. And you have to imagine that whenever one of your videos goes out, it's going to be like in somebody's scroll or on somebody's homepage. And they have to choose you over like Jimmy escaping like from being buried alive or, uh, you know, Marquez doing maybe the exact same video that you just did. And. So your initial audience needs to resonate with you, but then maybe over time for that review, it's going to become evergreen. It's going to get more search traffic than browse traffic. And then having just a really clear picture, like a Gerald Undone style gear picture and a very <laughs> like blah, blah, blah reviewed is the better title because that's what people who are doing like uh, purchase decisions are going to resonate with. So like it's like a living, breathing thing. If you choose it to be like some people don't care, they publish and, and let it go. But like you, you can manage that stuff. So for me, like the packaging initially, especially, is like what is gonna. Um, and I forget who said that. Like everything that I'm saying, I'm just stealing from way smarter people. Like it's things that Hayden has said, or things that Jimmy has said, or things that Linus have said. Uh, and it's it's gotta be that thumbnail that stops people in their tracks. Like if they're scrolling on on mobile or they're scanning on the desktop, your thumbnail has to stop them in their tracks. Because when people say that, you know, YouTube never showed my thumbnail, they did. It was just next to Jimmy's thumbnail and they chose Jimmy's. So you got to yeah, like yeah. <laughs> out-compete him. 
which is hard. And then the the title has to like live rent free in their brain until they click it. Like it has to be so enticing to them that they are compelled to click on it. And then you have to reward that immediately. That's another Hayden Jimmy, you know, sort of thing. It's like you click that video, somebody's being thrown off that island. You know, you don't have five minutes to get to that. Don't explain what you're doing, show what you're doing. And then maybe you earn the consideration to get into the deeper explanations. But people have such limited time. You can't get more attention the way you can get more money. Like that's a finite resource. You're competing against other YouTubers in your category, other categories on YouTube, other platforms like Twitter and like highly dopamine, like drenched platforms like Twitter and TikTok. TikTok. And you've got to earn that attention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I'm looking at your most uh, played videos on your channel and it's interesting. You had a big hit three weeks ago um, with the AirPods uh, Pro 2, How Apple Destroys Bluetooth. Killer yeah. title. Great <laughs> thumbnail. Thank you. Um, you've got, you know, there's like a, a question mark in your mind with, you know, you have a logo of the H2 processor, you know, that's in the that's in the AirPods. And if, if you're not familiar with that, it's, you know, like probably, you know, next level version of the, the AirPods. Yeah. Um, and so you've got this question like, what is it? And, you, you know, the face. Um, and I think that that's really a good example of what you're talking about. Cause, um, that's a video you posted recently and it's, it's crushing. Uh, another one that you posted, you know, fairly recently is Intel attacks Apple M one Mac. Um, that hilarious, uh, commercial that was just totally cringeworthy. How have you been experimenting with different kind of formats? Cause I know traditionally you would, you would script it out and read, read the teleprompter, um, what are some kind of different formats that you've been playing around with? And are there any that you've actually really started to enjoy that's, that's different than what you were doing a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think when I, when I first started the channel over, I, wanted, I went with what I knew, but also what that like, had shown me was successful. And that is like, like I re-reviewed the iPhone and I re-reviewed the Mac and I did like a couple of what I would call staples. But there, it feels like there's just so much opportunity in every category. Um, mm-hmm. And you see the kind of views that... Because I like in the tech niche, yes, like there's some impressive views, but you start talking like never even mind Jimmy, like you're pulling 70 million views per video. That's ridiculous. But there are people like uh, Sniper Wolf pulling tens of millions of views every day with a video, like every day with a video. And then there are other people like there's just so many different formats that not all of them like there is no Jimmy of tech videos really there is no Sniper Wolf of tech videos not really um, and maybe mm-hmm. that format wouldn't work like you can't one of my favorite things is like Jimmy will just say make a banger like that's the best strategy just make a banger and like it, he knows <laughs> how to do that exactly for the kind of video he does but how do you take that and translate it or you see like Hayden taking like all this Logan Paul footage and turning it into like a very compelling story but like how do you do that with sure. like how does Hayden make a tech video? How does Jimmy make a tech video? How does yeah. Sniper Wolf make and I try to think about those sorts of things and then I do experiment. Like I did a bunch of reaction videos. Um I've done I try to do some evergreen. Like I've tried both reviews, comparisons, uh should you buys, uh what's now versus what's next. And I just keep experimenting because like um sometimes people do the same thing and they expect different results. But also mm-hmm. doing the same thing and expecting the same results on YouTube can be bad because the whole audience and platform is moving at the same time you are. So you can get left behind if it's like the same thing 
over and over again, which is like why I respect people like Marquez so much. He's at the top of his game, but he doesn't rest on it. Like there's some mm -hmm. people who have literally made the same video every day for 10 or every week for 10 years, like literally the same video. And he's yeah. always pushing, always taking it to the next level, always doing something new and something fresh. Um, and that's the sort of spirit that I try to do. Like, what can I do? I, I was working on B-roll. I worked on color grading last uh, year before last. Worked on B-roll last year. Now I'm trying to do sound design. I've just tried to add some animations to it. And it's all yeah. those things make it fun for me. Well, I, just, I, de I definitely want to compliment you. I've, I've, I've noticed it's been, it's so good. Like oh, the quality you. of your footage looks amazing. Your lighting is so dialed. Obviously, your audio is on point. Basically saying, like, doing little things that kind of advance your craft a little bit just makes you stand out and also gives yeah. you something to work on and just grow. And at the end of the day, all you can really do is compete with yourself. Um, YouTube is so big. And there's so many people in the world. And there's there's so many people that aren't even actively watching YouTube yet that will one day. So, um, And based on all the, the trending news about TikTok's um, lack of paying people... Um, I think it's again, like for me personally, it, that whole kind of story that kind of has been blowing up recently about TikTok essentially not paying their creators what they should, um, reminds me and, and kind of gives me confidence. Like, yeah, YouTube is the place for, for video creators to build a, a business. And yeah, um, yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And even like to, to your point, uh, one of the presentations at VidCon, it might even have been Todd's again was like. Mr. Beast, everyone thinks he's this enormous creator. How much of YouTube do you think actually watches Mr. Beast? And it was a tiny, tiny percentage just to show how much growth like even his potential is like because of the vast size of this platform. And he's getting like absurd amounts of retention on long videos with like average views per viewer that is exponentially bigger than most people. And still he's got that much. I loved what he said on Marquez's uh, channel when Marquez was interviewing him. And he's like, just make better videos. You know, if you just make better videos, the views will come, the subscribers will come, the watch time will come, like everything, every metric that people worry about and try to micromanage. And I think sometimes use it as a distraction because making better videos is so hard. Like sit there yes. with, key, like even though keywords make almost no difference on YouTube, <laughs> sit there for a day, you know, trying to come up with better keywords when it really is like, you have to do everything you can to make better videos, no matter how hard that is. And if you're lucky enough to have people like who will roast your videos and they'll tell you like your thumbnails aren't good enough, your videos aren't good enough, your titles aren't good enough, and you don't like get put off by it, but you're like you redouble your efforts, it fixes everything. I you know, I, as we're saying all this, one little question just pops up in my mind and I ask myself this, why? Why, Renee? Why do you do this? Why why are you like this? Why are you so passionate about this whole thing? I mean, you've been a part of this community for so long and um I just want to ask why? What is it about this that gets you up in the morning, gets you excited? Oh, I love I love being of service. Like it don't sound super corny, but I love being of service. Like if I can make a video that not only makes like my audience, the audience that I'm lucky enough to have, if it not only makes them deliriously happy, but if it gives them like more information, better information, if it takes them from a point of like confusion or misinformation to like uh, I don't know what the right word is for it, but if I, if if they are better off after having watching that that is just the best feeling in the world. And I, I want to do that oh, all man. the time. Oh, you're giving me chills, man. We love you. We love you so much. <laughs> and I love you like as a oh, fan and um, we feel that. And oh my gosh, you're making me like feel feelings. It's but crazy. You, know, like, you must it's, get this too. It's like you tell someone you make YouTube videos and they look at you like, 
Well, either they don't understand it or they think it's like you're a supermodel and you're complaining about getting sand in your toes, you know, every once in a while. Like it's just, there's like, but it's yeah. really hard. It is. And, you know, the thing that we've all missed these last two years is going to the going to the conferences and going yeah. to the events, because that's where it's real for all of us to actually meet people who are watching the videos in, in real life and yeah. shake their hands and hear stories. And like, it's mind blowing when people come up to you and say, you know, one of your videos meant this to me for this yeah. reason or whatever. It's like, what? I'm just making stuff in my bedroom, man. Like, it's so yeah. weird, but so impactful and, and amazing. And uh, it's what a blessing that we live in this day and age to be able to do this. There's no gatekeepers. We just create, upload, yeah. and there you go. Like, it's it's really an amazing thing. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, and it's also like in some ways uh, like a really pure meritocracy. Like, of course, algorithms have quirks. Like, they're, they're, no algorithm is perfect. But YouTube does, like, if you think about it, if you had a blog back in the day, you were really – most people were just incentivized because of the way that Google SEO worked to just rewrite everyone else's story, bury the link as much as possible, get as much time on page as possible. With podcasts like this, like let's say you go and cover uh, the new Canon camera launch and Armando goes and covers it and Crimson Engine mm -hmm. goes and covers it and Potato Jet. Like if they all had podcasts, all you would see is their other episodes. You wouldn't even know who yeah. else had covered it. But with YouTube, like I'm watching your video and then someone else's videos in the sidebar <laughs> and you're in their sidebar and it like it yeah. raises up everybody. And I think that creates a really deep sense of community because we know like at least part of our success is tied into the success of everyone who's doing the kind of stuff that we're doing. Yes, absolutely. And I think that actually, now that I've talked to a couple of people outside of our niche, I think that is a little rare in, in our in the entertainment industry and maybe even on YouTube. I, I hope, I'm optimistic that that's not the case in other niches, but um, I think in our community of tech, you know, reviewers, camera nerds, um, I guess because we've always been nerds our whole life, yes. we all like relate to each other. So. Yes. <laughs> Finally, we're, <laughs> we know somebody like being such a, an Apple fanboy or camera nerd, like in real life, you don't meet those people. So if, if somebody's like, if I'm waiting to, for a table at a restaurant and I see somebody like swiping up on their apps to close them, yeah. I just want to like tap them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, that, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> and Phil Schiller said it. But, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to like, and then they look at you like, what are you talking about? I, you know, I've had that same argument with many people and it's yes. like, I'm just going to give up. If you want to <laughs> swipe up and, and force quit your app and it doesn't matter anymore, go for yep. it. <laughs> I wish they would just finally have a clear all button for those people so that they can, you know, feel better. About yeah. They don't want them to cause it's bad for the system resources, but you never know. <laughs> um, so how how's been the, the camera world for you? I don't even know what you're shooting on currently. And I definitely want to hear your thoughts on the new R5C because it's very exciting for some creators out there. I'm, you know, using the C70. I've yeah. been a real fan of it. I've had it for a year now. I've, I'm very pleased with it. Um, are you still rocking the C500? For yeah, I'm still, right now I'm using the C500 Mark II. I love it just because awesome. it it really simplified my workflow. Like right now... I used to talk in my very first videos. I was talking into my podcast mic, like the Hale uh, P40, um, and yeah. it, 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 because that's what I knew. But then Marquez goes, "You should really just get this boom microphone." So now I have a Sennheiser MKH416, uh, and that just goes mm. through XLR right into the camera. It's got dual mm. uh, CF Express slots, so I have backup and redundancy, and CF Express yep. is so fast. <laughs> so but you don't. Fast. But you don't. 
But you don't care about that nice, uh, beautiful SD card slot on the Mac I- anymore because you're like, I'm not using that anyway. So. No, I don't use HDMI. I don't use like <laughs> headphone. Like, well, that's the thing is like, there's different. Like, this is what was funny to me. I was at CES one year, and I um, I was talking to Luria Petrucci, who's like a big, big gearhead, and then Alex Lindsay came over, who's like used to work at Industrial Lights and Magic. You know, and his level of gear nerdery was exponentially more. And then oh, one yeah. of his friends, who still worked at Industrial Lights and Magic, <laughs> came over, and the stuff that they were talking about was like next next level. So they like they always. Level. And then you got like Marquez with like two kinds of robots now. Um, but yeah, then you exactly. have like uh, I forget the guy's name. You've had him on your show, who's built basically his own volume set, you know, with the HTC controllers. Oh, yeah. And the cameras, mm. like like there's just it's it's unlimited levels of nerdery, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's no limit, and it, it keeps getting better. And um, my good friend Jevin Dovey is a creator who, like, he's really been blowing up in the drone kind of world. And I think that's an interesting niche to be a part of because it's actually advancing year over year. But with camera stuff now, it really has gotten to a point where, and I I think I the reason I was okay to take a break. Uh, this last year is because I was feeling a little not bored, but just kind of like, okay, we've arrived now. Like all the cameras are good. When the A7S III came out, I was kind of like, all right, all right, that's it. That's the yes. one that has Enough. everything on it. Yeah, C500 is perfect. Um, C70, if the C70 had the C500 sensor in it, it would be perfect. See, but that's but. the thing with Canon. It's like the C5, <laughs> the C500 Mark II is great, but it, it tops out at 5.9K. Then you have the uh-huh. R5, which goes to 8K, but it's got that 30-minute record limit on it, and it doesn't have C-Log 2. It does have CF yeah. Express. The C70 doesn't have the record <laughs> limit, but it doesn't have CF Express. And now the R5... This, and it's the, got C- C-Log 2, though. <laughs> yeah, it, does it? it does, yeah, it does have C-Log 2. Yeah, but it's always yeah, like... Yeah. And then some of them and are micro, H, micro HDMI, and some are full HDMI, and they have different batteries. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just... They, they, and now the, the, R, the um, R5C... I'm gonna pro- yeah. I'm, I'm gonna order it because I still have an EOS R above me, and on some of the unboxings, I've hit that time limit, and not realized it. Oh, so wow, like, yeah. not having a time mm-hmm. limit would be great, and it's light enough yeah. that I can put it up there. So, but it sure. but it's gonna have it, the, the same kind of Canon idios. Like I, I don't think it's gonna have C Log Two on it. It's it's gonna be weird. I know. And now that I'm going back into YouTube, I have been kind of like brainstorming what I should get. I, I'm thinking about selling some stuff, but I. I think my cousins are going to let me, they're going to loan me this thing because it's not mine. I don't own it. Um, but I could, I'm thinking about maybe picking up the FX3. I've been seeing a lot of positive reviews on it. And um, I really enjoyed my time with the Sony A7S. Yeah. That being said, I do love the Canon color science. I still yes. love a lot of the features of the Canon. Um, and I've been looking on Canon rumors and apparently there's three bodies that are still going to come out this wow. year. Um, at the second half of 2022, um, like kind of another mid-range, like R6 kind of replacement, um, and then even a, a cheaper kind of more vlog-centric uh, competitor to like the A7C, for example, yeah. that, that might be popular with YouTubers. So I may just wait it out, see what's going on this year. The R5C definitely looks like yep. the perfect camera for me, but it's a little outside my price range personally, but... I um, like the Sony and like uh, Jonathan Morrison was telling me about it and he's so good. Like like he shoots with Ari, but like he's used with Sony. Uh, and I think that's like a good gauge for his talent level. Uh, and he's <laughs> gone all in on it. But I'm like, I have so much Canon glass. You know, know. I've been using, I've been using Canon for 10 years. There's, there's one th- interesting, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a weird situation, but 
Sony treats their <laughs> creators so much better than Canon. Yeah. Like all my friends that shoot Sony, they're calling me and they're like, Hey, by the way, Sony called me. They, they're going to like start working with me and like, you know, paying me to do uh, sponsored videos and sending me stuff like Canon does not seem to care at all about yeah. like having communication and, and a relationship with the creators that are using it. It's like it's anybody absurd. but Peter McKinnon. I think I've, I don't think I've seen anybody else <laughs> yeah, really exactly. do much of anything. Well, Sam, Canon. Obviously, we could talk for hours about Apple stuff. I didn't want this show to be about that because you can listen to, <laughs> to you talk about that on your channel. <laughs> if you're not a subscriber, go over to youtube.com slash Renee Ritchie. Watch all the content. Listen to Mac Break Weekly. Are there oh, other shows you. that you're on as well? Uh, podcasts? I mean, you're always like you're on Gruber's show sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah that's always you're, fun. You're all it's, over the place. It's a good three hours of, of podcasting every time it happens. <laughs> Grouper is amazing. Oh yeah. my gosh, he's talk about a natural on the mic and like so it's, smart. I, it's yeah, it, he's amazing. And you guys kind of are have like a yearly ending review kind of yep. show that I always look forward to. So um, that was a good one. Um, but obviously, the big kind of topic of this last year was the Apple Silicon transition. Yeah. Obviously, now we've got the 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 M1 Max and the Pro and. Um, I, I want to speak specifically to Final Cut Pro because we yeah. both are Final Cut editors. Um, what what have you like learned about Final Cut that uh, you know you maybe would want to share with somebody uh, that is just getting started or somebody who doesn't know anything about it? The thing with Final Cut in me is like I used to I, I started editing on a video toaster when I was a little kid, um, and then I, I did and it was great Wait, for its what, time. What is that? The video toaster video was like Babylon 5 era. It was an Amiga. At first, it was an Amiga 2000. It was a card you could oh put my into goodness. it. And because of the Amiga's unique processor architecture, you could do like video editing on a PC, like the really for the first time. Um, yeah. And it, it came with like Lightwave, I think it was called. It was like a complete 3D rendering program. It had a built-in wow. switcher. But then I, start, I, I got into like classic Final Cut. And then when they made the switch to Final Cut 10, uh, and they've dropped the 10 again, so now it's just Final Cut. Um, but I know. Like, I I've, I always put FCPX and then I'm like, I know oh, I gotta kill the X. <laughs> it's and I I hated Final Cut Pro 10 at first, and it was this whole thing like Randy Ubelos, who ran video at Apple back then, went on vacation. And he's like, "This stuff just sucks. It is way too slow. I can't do anything with this. We've got to rethink our entire mm. approach." And they did like iMovie over again, and then they did Final Cut over again, and the magnetic timeline was really off-putting. But mm. once I learned to like just put my either my voiceover or my main A roll in the magnetic timeline and then just cut with the idea that it's going to like the whole thing is just going to collapse yep. down. Like my measure for speed isn't like how long something particularly like rendering speeds or all this. It's like time to completed work from ingesting mm -hmm. the video to uploading it to YouTube. How long does that take? And I've never found anything like there's, there's things that you can do in after in, um, in Premiere, Premiere and in D Resolve, Resolve that you mm -hmm. cannot do in Final Cut Pro. Like they have so many features that Final Cut just doesn't even begin to address. But time to completed work is so mm. fast. And I was still going to events. <laughs> like back before the world ended, I was going to events and you really like, you have you and you have your Mac and you have videos you have to get live. And the ability mm. to edit those by myself, I didn't have like a Verge sized team. And Marquez is Marquez. He would he would just go home, go back to the hotel room and do it all on his you know the Mac Pro that he carried around in his suitcase. Uh, I I had to get them up like at the event, so that speed yeah. was really important to me. And I've just I just learned mm. to be able to very quickly get video done with Final Cut. And now with like the M1 Max and the M1 Pro, 
it's faster. Like it renders so fast. I sometimes think I forgot to press the button and I just realize it's done. <laughs> like I'll go up and I'll get some yeah. coffee. I'll come back and I'll think, oh, I didn't render it. Like, oh no, it's done. But also mm. it's so, it's like responsive, iPad level responsive. So instead of dragging an effect and having it beach ball for a second and then dragging it and having it beach ball, like it's, it saves all those seconds from every minute, which saves me even more time. And then Previously, I would hit a button and it would light up the CPU and I'd try to like browse the web, work on a thumbnail, and it would be like just so slow. But now because it's got rendering engines, that's all just done completely off the CPU cores. So I have like a whole other machine while I'm rendering and that yeah. saves me even more time. So it's just like the impact on my workflow is extreme. Well, yeah, I, I used to work with different guys doing a lot of editing, you know, like a room with a bunch of editors. And often they would have two computers so that you can hit render and then you just take your, your little yeah. wheel wheelie chair and just go over to the other one and keep working. You know, um, that's not the case anymore. I, I, yeah. I had a friend who actually had a screen recording of Premiere uh, export. It was like a two-hour export, and he would play the video so he could go take a smoke break. So when the producers <laughs> would come in, they would look at his screen and just see the, the export That's hilarious. going. Uh, so that way he could take a little break. I thought that was a funny little um, That's filmmaker editor tip. But that you can't pull that anymore with the, the M1 Max and the M1 Pro. Although yeah. maybe I was spoiled and in, in, uh, you were as well because I made the transition to Apple Silicon immediately when yeah. the M1 came out. And I'm, I was already very pleased with the uh, timeline, especially editing. It just everything felt so snappy coming from Intel. Just scroll, scrubbing your your mouse around and just cutting, like just the actual mechanics of editing became so much faster yeah. when I went to Apple Silicon. So buying this machine, I was like all jazzed about you know just max it out, get everything, and I got it. And I'm like, I mean it's it's very fast for sure, but I was already very satisfied and. It's not as much of a uh, generational leap as going from Intel to Silicon in the first place. Yeah. Um, but the export times on this machine are dramatically better. Yeah. Um, on my Mac Mini, I was doing, you know, these three-hour-long courses. That's what my job was this last year, doing these three-hour-long seven-camera with motion graphics wow. uh, courses, all shot in 4K. And um, it would take uh, – I would literally have to do it at nighttime – hit export, go to sleep, yeah. and then it'd be done in the morning, like a five to seven hour export. Um, I did the same today while I was at work, closing up shop. Today was my last day, so I had to export one of them out. It took about an hour for That's a amazing. three hour 4K course with multiple layers. One thing I've noticed, and I thought this computer would solve it, and you may have seen my little Twitter thread about it, there's something wrong with JPEGs on Final Cut. I don't understand what it is. I don't know what the hangup is. I tried to record my screen with this happening, yeah. but I posted my findings and other people seemed to agree that they were having a similar situation. This might be a bug that they could fix, but I've noticed even on this maxed out M1 Max, you know, I've got four layers of 4K playing no problem. I throw three JPEGs on there and I use the blade tool to cut the JPEGs. All of a sudden I get beach ball and yeah. it just pauses for a second and I'm like, why is this app? It's just a JPEG. It's not even it. So I don't know. There might be something going on in the cruft there. I mean, it, software is made by humans and it, you yeah. know, it's, it's going to be fixed, but I don't it's know. It's that and the waveform rendering. Like it's, all this yes, power the and the waveform still takes forever to render. <laughs> and it's got to be a bug. 
I know it, the waveforms have been an issue for years though. Yeah. Um, and as a YouTube editor, and I, I looked at your timeline today, you posted a tweet of, you know, finish my A-roll, ready for B-roll. The way you edit is exactly how I edit too. I just take my raw, like, talking head. Yeah. I just hit play and then just blade tool all the way down, delete, delete, you know, ripple, delete. It just starts kind of the magnetic yep. timeline works to your advantage. And then I expand the audio, start doing my J and L yep. cuts, you know, and whatnot. Um, but that doing that style of editing the fact that you like i have to i constantly am hitting space bar so that my yep. waveforms click in um because i'm kind of not even looking at the video because i know my video's in focus and yes. i'm just sitting in a chair <laughs> so I, i'm really only editing waveform i'm just looking for my mistakes and when i when i'm pausing um that is frustrating isn't it <laughs> yeah i know there's a third party tool that does it but i really wish apple would take the logic pro strip silence feature and just add it to final cut pro so you could press a button and it would auto cut wherever there was like a, any like a predetermined length of silence that would yeah. be awesome and the one thing i learned to do actually the final cut team saw me editing at one of the apple events and they came up and they said you should put everything in either a multicam or a compound clip and I was like, mm -hmm. why? And they're like, well, if you want to go and change anything later, you've got to do it on every single cut that you made. Whereas if you're cutting on a compound clip, you just double click into it, make whatever changes you want, and those will propagate throughout every cut you've made in that mm -hmm. clip. And that saved me so much time. I was like, low-key yeah. mad. I didn't know about that earlier. <laughs> I'm trying to find the tweet, but I, I, one thing that I kind of like had an aha about with Final Cut's pricing in particular um, I tweeted, I was like, I think I figured out why Final Cut isn't free because it doesn't really make any sense why Apple would charge money for it. They're not making money off of it yeah. and they sell hardware. And I realized it's like $299 is, is cheap for a pro. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, I'll pay 300 bucks. Yeah. Adobe's $50 a month. Um, so that's a nice little like barrier for like your average Joe who really should be using iMovie to not buy it. It's like, I'm not buy I'm not paying $300 for the software. iMovie's yeah. free. So they're saving all this, you know, there would be endless amounts of technical support if they didn't yes. charge $300 for it. I forget his name, but it was one of the guys who actually introduced Final Cut. He somehow saw my tweet and he responded and he said, yep, you're you're exactly oh, nice. right. That's, that's why we decided to do that. Because I'm like, I paid $300 for this the day it came out 11 yeah. years ago. I haven't paid a dime for it ever since. But that's not true. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on Apple stuff. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I always found that fascinating that you know Final Cut's only three hundred dollars and they don't yeah. charge for upgrades. But um, that's what's so great about it. Yeah, and there's I been mean, tons of upgrades over the though. years. Like I used the face tracking for the first time in the last video. I just I dragged even... a a, P, a a PNG ping GIF GIF file over my face, and it, it immediately said track. I pressed the track button. It worked fine. It was great. That's amazing. One of my favorite features about it is being able to make custom profiles and custom text. Yeah. Um, so you can download a bunch of plugins, but maybe you don't like the font choice. You know, it's not your branding. You can open it up in Motion, select that font, make it whatever you want, change the colors, and then yep. save it as a preset. And now whenever you want that lower third or whatever, it's the exact way you want it to be. You don't have to spend all this time shifting it in the inspector. It's, it's already pre-made. Um, that's one of my favorite features about it. So yeah, I what's do one of your favorite like, features? Yeah, well, I, I do the same thing. Like I have a basic color grade that just it has like you have to apply the LUT manually still, but um, yeah, I, I I just pull that over and it does the color grade. Like and it's not perfect. I have to adjust it each time, but it gets me ninety percent of the way there, and it reconforms totally. it and everything. And uh, that kind of stuff is just anything that you can do like that that saves you monotonous work. I think is great. Yeah, 
I I finally kind of started learning the ATEM system. I got yeah. an ATEM Extreme ISO or something, and um, I am using one camera, but there's like a zoom in shot on the one camera. So I bought an HDMI splitter, so I have three cameras, three camera angles coming in from the same camera, nice. and I just go one, two, three, and then I just you know digitally zoom on the others, and that saved me a ton of time with editing, just doing one, two, three live awesome. edit while it's you know, but. Um, meet Kevin is kind of a master at that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you've ever seen his channel, but, yeah. But look how many videos um, he gets up every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know where I heard this, but I, I think Jevin told me he said that Kevin will post. He posts like eight videos a day, and what he what he'll do is like he'll just post a video. If it's not one out of ten, he'll just make another one and post it until he gets one out of ten, and then he stops. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> Have you ever seen Scotty but, uh, Kilmer's channel? Uh. Let me look. Is it? He's just, a car that, YouTuber, but he's hilarious. He like he used to be on TV. Now he does these videos. He does like three videos a day. Yes. They have the I've worst clickbait titles. Like he'll say like I'm dying, or like if you buy this, <laughs> you're stupid. Um, but he just like this he will, cranks yeah. out those videos. This can kill you. I just got yeah. scammed. Warning. A, a title is literally just warning. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop buying this cheap crap. <laughs> and I, I, one of I'm the a, videos shows him shooting, and he literally just like picks up a tripod, moves it three feet, says something. Picks up the tripod, moves it three feet, says something. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of like the non-tech uh, world of YouTube because you can totally get away with like l- lesser quality in terms of video yeah. and audio. Um, I feel like... For us, there's almost like a level of, um, it just has to look a little good for them to kind of like uh, listen, you know what I mean? Um, but I guess that's not always true. Uh, you can kind of push, push push, and pull with that. But Well, like on YouTube, um, but if like the, the most popular TikToks and Reels and Shorts are all like shot with the iPhone, like with the worst background know, yeah. in the store, like it's shaky and <laughs> like it, ha- it has that painful authentic- authenticity. <clears throat> Absolutely. I do you think Final Cut will ever come on the iPad? What's what's Renee's thoughts on that? Because I would love to see it, but then again, um, the Apple Silicon has solved my issue. I liked using LumaFusion on yep. iPads because it was so snappy and amazing. Because it was using Apple Silicon. Well, now we actually have Apple Silicon on a Mac. I don't know if I care anymore. But do you think it'll ever happen? Yeah, I think the question is like for the same thing with Xcode Logic and Final Cut is what does that mean? Like, does it mean a standalone version? that has an interface optimized for the iPad, doesn't mean yeah. something that works together with the desktop, where like you're editing on your Mac and you pick it up and you go to the sofa and you do some things and you come back and you put it down and you're back in universal control or sidecar mode. And my guess is, based on like what we heard about Xcode, is that Apple's gonna eventually make these things in some way cloud-based. Uh, like right now you have, they have just announced Xcode Cloud and my guess is there'll be Xcode for the Mac and Xcode for the iPad and Xcode for the cloud will be like the glue between them and Mm. it'll be the same thing like you'll have final cut on the mac you'll have it on the ipad and you'll have final cut cloud and you'll have like instances of your projects and there'll be some things that don't make sense on the ipad like the ipad doesn't doesn't swap to disk the way mac os does it just like yotes things from memory when you run out (laughs) which is not great for final cut um they'd have to do a bunch of changes to the way ios works and i don't know if they're going to do that but it might be a great way to pick things up and do a bunch of editing that just isn't easy mm-hmm. on a Mac. And then it's all synced to the cloud, you know, like um, like 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 Adobe does or like Frame.io does. And it, like I, I think just copying it is a lost opportunity. Like using it to make the state of the art better would be really cool. Yeah, and I I played around with LumaFusion quite a bit, and it, the 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 ergonomics of 
touching a screen while editing is not comfortable for a long periods of time. So um, I still think an actual computer with a mouse and keyboard is the the correct way to edit, in my opinion. But well, I would some just kid love who's like, like, what's a computer? Wouldn't agree with me. <laughs> I would love snapping, like you know, like snapping in Keynote, where if you bring things like closer there, mm. you get like these snap lines. Because I just trying to align yeah. titles and things yes. in Final Cut is still so. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I found I found a hack. I don't know if you have ever considered this. Keynote has the best snapping ever. Yes. So sometimes I'll create graphics in Keynote and just export it as a PNG over to Final Cut if I need text to be perfectly centered. But yeah. you're right. It's so obnoxious that I can't just like put a piece of text down and just drag it and it, it snaps yep. like Photoshop or whatever. I mean, they have the technology. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. All right. If you could choose one thing to change about YouTube, Rene Ritchie, what would it be? What, what's the thing that, that, you're, that you're wanting, that one feature or anything? I mean, there's a couple, like if if there's like two, I guess there's, I have two different answers to that. Like my beyond Renee answer would be, I just want them to do a better job with education so that people aren't anxious about algorithms, but like empowered by audience. I think like there's just Mm. way too much creator anxiety. And I think a lot of like mainstream publications feed on that by trying to say like creators are burned out and like, I think that it's just, it's a really bad vibe. So if they did a better job explaining how all this stuff works, I think it'd be great. Like just feature set, I would love to be able to, and I'm going to say like, any feature can be abused. And the minute I say these features, people are going to say, well, it'll be abused in this way. And that's true. But like any feature can be abused. I would love the ability to have multiple thumbnails. Like, for example, a thumbnail that yes. if somebody has watched two or three of my videos previously, they get it. Like with me and my face on it, maybe. Or if they haven't, maybe they get the generic product shot instead. And for YouTube, yeah. not just to do A-B testing, but to figure out which thumbnail is better for which different audience that they're showing it to. I think yeah. that would be really good and the ability to suggest other videos of mine that this is similar to to jumpstart the matching process like because sometimes mm-hmm. it's not always apparent which videos like there might be an audience for this video but it's not apparent it takes them a long time to find it and if i could say no 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 this video is very similar to this one i think that mm-hmm. would be a great way to jumpstart it and then i would really love for them to extricate shorts like they kind of just drop them in there yes. And like make yeah. shorts their own tab the way posts are have them their own analytics the way live streams are like it just like move that stuff into its proper drawer <laughs> at least the at least it doesn't seem to affect your actual channel health um it just looks a little messy because yes. you go to the video tab and you see your mainline videos but then right next to it is a vertical video with a terrible thumbnail and it's like what you know and it pollutes your here? analytics because it's not separate there yet yeah and i mean what are you've experimented with it what have you found with you know, your, your niche doing vertical TikTok style videos. What, I mean, that's obviously where a lot of the eyeballs have gone over the last year or two. TikTok's numbers just continue to grow through the roof. Um, and it, I think it's important as creators to, to see it as a, you know, strategic place to, to place your videos, um, not necessarily to build a, a giant empire and make a living, but it is a place to get exposure right yep. now. Um, what are some of your thoughts on TikTok and the tech, world i like it i think tiktok has the same problem if you want to call it a problem that twitter has um and i'm not going to get all hand green about it but i think like a lot of people used to have blogs and then twitter kind of swallowed a lot of that but now all the content is owned by twitter all the revenue goes to twitter and they're trying to do some sort of creator fun stuff but it's nowhere like what youtube does where you feel like you're actually getting part of the revenue that you're generating we've mostly just in exchange for a larger audience we've given over almost everything to Twitter. And that TikTok feels like that. It feels like in, like in order to get this massive amount of attention, 
we've taken like the videos that were ours on YouTube that we were getting revenue share for on YouTube. And now we're giving that content over to TikTok where the attachment like Twitter does not go to the, the artist, doesn't go to the creator. It goes to the platform because you're always just like one swipe, one timeline away from somebody else. Uh, and it's great for growing those platforms, not so great for growing creators. And I think the smart play is exactly what you said, and that is using it for exposure and using it to uh, side hustle people over to what your main jam yeah. is. Um, <laughs> but I think like long term, it's, 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 it has not proven itself to be good for creators. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could sort of compare it to Vine. And if you, if you look at the, the history of Vine, it did not succeed. It did go away. Um, I don't know if TikTok will go away. It seems to have a lot of roots in, in society right now. It may be a little bit of a fad for this generation, but um, Snapchat kind of felt like a fad when that came out and it's still holding on. Uh, I don't use it and I really never did, but I do have friends who are a little younger than me that that's actually one of their primary ways of communicating. Um, so TikTok may be like that. It's the, this generation of kids, you know, thing that they'll continue to use as they get older. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. I think it's important to be strategic with it and not count on that as a a generation of revenue, just a way to, you know, basically put your name out there and maybe get some views and uh, I guess port them over to YouTube. But I don't think the transfer rate is that high either. So I, I don't yeah. know. Well, the thing for me that concerns me is like you and I just rattled off like during the course of this podcast, like maybe 30 different creators that most people would recognize. I would be hard pressed to name like very many TikTok creators at all. And that's nothing to do with them. It's just like the attachment doesn't go to them. It goes to TikTok. Like, do you really know a lot about guy who yells at traffic in every TikTok is like, no, you see him, you laugh and you move on. Or, you know, a person who says inappropriate jokes and then it's person who's doing like weird food thing. And it's like, it's like a minute, you know, maybe it's 30 seconds and you're on to the next thing. And it it just, it doesn't attach the same way. Mm -hmm. And I've, I mean, I've heard um, that Charlie D'Amelio, for example, like she was handpicked by TikTok as like, this is going to be our mascot. And that's like kind of, creepy and weird that like and she doesn't you know she's young and like yeah it's kind of almost ruined their life in a way if you watch the documentary yeah and stuff, yeah that was I hard to watch but, um i watched the colin and samir kind of breakdown of it and um yeah like it, it's interesting and that it, i don't know if it worked it's not healthy either for these children to be in yeah. that type of environment but anyways going on a little tangent with that but no worries um <laughs> i want to say one of my favorite things is like i don't know a couple months ago for some reason I think it was something to do with like legal battles or something, but like um, Andy, Andy and um, uh, Alex Lindsay would like get into these little arguments and it's like yeah. a very friendly argument, but you're always there. <laughs> like yeah. you never really seem to chime in. Um, <laughs> I mean you do, but like I just find it so entertaining that you guys all get along so well. I'm referring to Mac break weekly. Um, it's become, you know, essentially the four of you, but you often have other guests on. And unfortunately, a lot of guests have come and gone who um, who we love, who get hired yeah. by Apple often. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just find it so funny that like they have their little dynamic. Leo is always trying to just move things forward. Yeah. And, you know, um, you're kind of the the active, you know, YouTuber who's maybe getting things earlier. So you ha- you can speak to that. And 
Uh, Alex is always, you know, talking about his UDZ files or whatever yes. that nobody knows Augmented about. Augmented reality files. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Alex, I don't know what you're talking USDZ. about. And I don't really yep. care. Yeah, USDC. He's like, when this takes off, it's going to change the world. Like, I'll take your word for it, Alex. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I just want, I guess that's not even a question. It's just a comment. I, I love no, the dynamic. How has that, you know, been for you being a part of, of that kind of, you know, channel not channeled but show it's you've really cemented yourself into the history of that show and it, it's pretty amazing i think we've talked about it on the previous podcast but as a longtime listener of mac break um you know i just want to hear your take on on being a part of that show no it's just so much fun uh, and it's such an institution like i used to listen to that show i used to commute to work for like you know montreal so snow so it would be like between an hour and three hours uh, each way sometimes, and I would just listen to MacBreak weekly, and I, I listened to them when when the original iPhone was being announced, um, and it's just, it was like a thrill to be added to the show. It was a it was beyond a thrill when I got to host it for the first time. It was like felt like I was sitting in my dad's chair. It was just a really weird feeling, yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's just, it's just great to be part of that because it it has such a different demographic than my YouTube. Like it's people who are very much into like the. I was going to say old school, but it's just like that tech TV, G4 vibe, you know, podcasting. Yeah. And it's uh, it's like how Macworld had a very different vibe than like VidCon or something. Uh, yeah. And I, I love to reach all these different audiences and hear what they have to say and what they care about. Because a lot of times I think like on tech Twitter and even in tech YouTube, what what people think is the majority opinion is like the 5%er club. Like, it, <laughs> like it's an extreme, extreme minority that just assumes that their views are majority views, but they really aren't. And when you see things mm. like, like Leo's radio show or like some of the people talking on MacBreak Weekly, you get a sense of like how really different their world is. Um, yeah. Like I, I always remember like I was at WWC once and someone was complaining about uh, an issue with the Bluetooth keyboard on the Apple TV and, and – uh, the engineer said, literally everybody who uses that feature is here at the conference and it'll be fixed by the time you get home. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? He's like, yes, there is a single digit number of people who use that feature. A single digit. But to them, it was the entire no. world because all their friends were complaining yeah. about it too. Yeah, exactly. Like us with uh, with waveforms and Final Cut, I yeah. guess. Well, and uh, I feel like no, every Final was pretty user mainstream. would benefit. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it's actually strange that that hasn't been fixed yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I concur. Um, Cool. Well, Renee, thank you so much for your time. You're, I don't know how on earth you even had time to even be on this. Of course. But I really appreciate it. And I will continue to listen to you every week on Mac Break. I'll continue to be watching your videos, watching your career. Um, we love you. And like, like what you're saying, you know, what you're doing, the why behind what you're doing, you are absolutely achieving that. You bring so much joy and, and happiness to other people. You love other people. You're kind. Like, oh, thank you. I just, you know, I just want to say it out loud so that you hear like, and it hopefully sinks in that like, we appreciate you oh, and I you. appreciate you. And, um, you know, the fact that I can have you on my show is just a real honor. So thank you. I'm Canadian, Dave. If I smile, if I, if I blush, I'm going to melt. <laughs> You're just going to apologize all the way down. I'm sorry. <laughs>